Welcome you all to this Metta retreat. I'll start with some introductions. Um, probably many of you know Sharon Salzberg, who's sitting all the way on my right. Susan O'Brien, who's been teaching with us for many years. And Patricia Genoux, who's a teacher from Switzerland, uh, who's been also practicing and, and teaching uh, for many years, and she just finished uh, six, months? six months at the Forest Refuge a little while ago. Uh, so it's really a pleasure to be here uh, with all of you. Tonight we'll keep it pretty brief, a few hours. One of my teachers, uh, Munindraji, once gave a three-hour talk on 21 kinds of silence. (laughs) 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 By the end of it, (laughs) I was yearning for some silence. (laughs) You know, coming together for a retreat like this is really, as you know, a very special time because we're leaving the busyness and the familiarity of the world, the busyness of our lives. We come here, you know, and a bell rings, and we really enter a whole new realm. I've just also come out of a month retreat myself, and so I'm very inspired again by the possibilities of practice and the space that's created in a retreat, it is really very extraordinary. It's a rare thing in the world. Now we enter into a realm of silence, which is certainly rare. We enter into a realm of solitude. We enter into a realm of depth where there's tremendous intimacy and immediacy of experience. On a retreat like this, in this kind of situation, there are not many distractions or diversions. And so we're put into this situation where we really come face to face with ourselves. And that's a very powerful experience. The purpose of intensive practice, and the reason we do this, is to investigate and explore some very fundamental aspects of ourselves, of who we are, of what our lives are about. Now, in Vipassana, or insight practice, we use the tool of mindfulness to investigate the nature of suffering in our lives and the possibility and the experience of freedom. In a metta retreat, there's a different focus. We practice what the Buddha called the divine abodes, or the divine dwellings. And that is, we explore the meaning and the experience and the nuances of love, of loving-kindness, of compassion. During this week, 
we will be refining our understanding of what love means. Because in English, the word refers to many different states of mind. And often, we ourselves get these different meanings confused. And it can create a lot of confusion in our lives. So we'll begin to refine and see more and more clearly exactly what state the Buddha was pointing us to when he gave these teachings on loving-kindness, on metta. And we'll learn to distinguish it from what we might call look-alikes, you know, states that might appear to be love, but really are not. States of mind, of desire, of yearning, of longing. And there's lots of ways, lots of shadings that take us away from the purity of loving-kindness. We'll also practice metta to discover its boundless quality. For those of you who have done this practice before, you know that we start with ourselves, we start sending the loving-kindness to ourselves, which for many people is very difficult. It's not always an easy thing to do. And then gradually over the week, we will slowly expand or extend the range of our loving feelings. Now extending it to benefactor and friend and neutral person and difficult people, and then finally to all beings. I recently came across a saying from the Navajo uh, Indian tradition. As I have been to the end of the earth, I have been to the end of the waters. I have been to the end of the sky. I have been to the end of the mountains. I have found none that were not my friends. And that is a perfect expression of this quality that we will be cultivating. Coming to that space where there are none that are not our friends. And as we practice this, we're going to develop it in another way as well, which is a tremendous strengthening and integration of this quality of metta or loving-kindness in our lives and in our spiritual journey. And that is we begin to cultivate metta as the very motivation for our practice. Many of us know that meditation is good for us in one way or another. If you didn't know that, you wouldn't be here. So, So we know that. And we also know that in some way or another, as it helps us, it will help others and help the people around us. But there's a certain shift, a certain important shift in all of our spiritual journeys when we begin to consciously undertake our practice for the benefit of all beings. So it's not that it's benefiting people as a byproduct of what we do, but we begin to make that feeling of love and compassion 
the very motivation for our practice, that we undertake it in order to be of benefit to all, including ourselves. So this is something also that begins to flower and grow as we do this practice. This motivation of love and compassion, when that's the driving force, when that's the motivating force behind what we do, it really tremendously energizes our practice. Very different when we practice for what we can get and when we practice with that heartfelt sense, may this be for the good of all. It's, it's a very different motivation. And this motivation is a tremendous energizer. It expands our vision. It expands our sense of what we're doing. As many of you know who have practiced meditation in one form or another, as many of you know, this transformation of consciousness is not an easy task. Not easy at all. We have very strong mental habits, you know, of judging and comparing and liking and disliking and living in the past and living in the future. And our minds run with that. A good part of our day when we pay attention is our mind just being lost in these habits, these habitual tendencies of mind. So it takes a very strong commitment. It takes a certain passion, it takes a certain certain fire within us to undertake a practice of transformation and not simply play out the habit patterns of our conditioning. It takes a strong commitment, it takes this passion to stay awake, to come back to this motive of love and compassion when we've been lost you know, in more unwholesome patterns. So a few things that will help in this journey, because it's a journey. And there's work to be done. It's, it's not easy. The first very big help for us, you know, as we embark on this journey, is to remember to have metta for ourselves as we go through all the ups and downs. There's a anonymous samurai poem from, I don't know, the 14th century or 13th century, and one of the lines in this poem has, has really stuck in my mind. One of the lines of the poem says, I make my mind my friend. That is a great line. If you did nothing else this week but to make your mind your friend, that would be a great accomplishment. And so it's really bringing that quality of metta to ourselves, to the practice, that quality of friendliness, knowing that there are going to be difficulties. But can we hold it in that space of friendliness rather than self-judgment. So that, if you can remember that and come back to that, will ease 
the journey tremendously. So an aspect of this friendliness towards ourselves, or one way of accomplishing it, is something which we'll be talking more about during the week, but I just want to mention briefly tonight, and that is the quality of patience. You know, the first days of a retreat, even for those of you who are very experienced practitioners, and certainly for those of you who are new to the practice, there are a lot of initial difficulties that arise. I mean, here you come, you know, you sign up for a metta retreat, loving-kindness, oh great, I want to just go and be blissed out for a week. Maybe. (laughs) Don't count on it. It's not about that. You know, and I think for most of you, at one point or another, and especially the first days, you will probably face the same difficulties that everybody does. You know, as they as they start a retreat, the restlessness and the sleepiness and the boredom and the discomfort, you know, and then maybe you get a few real good sittings, you know, and easy sittings, and then again the struggles. Know that this is part of it. This is just how it is. There are a lot of these ups and downs as you settle in. So it's important and a way of expressing this friendliness towards yourself is to be patient with it. It's okay, just keep going. The key is perseverance, the key is constancy. You know, so instead of being discouraged by it, you just realize, yes, this is part, this is part of it. And you keep doing the practice. Slowly, and you will see this over the course of the week, slowly the mind does get more concentrated. Now the mind and body do begin to settle down. We, we get less sleepy and more awake and more connected with the metta. Now the Dalai Lama has spoken so much about the practice and cultivation of love and compassion. It's so much kind of at the heart of his own practice. He said, changes in attitude never come easily. The development of love and compassion is a wide round curve that can be negotiated only slowly, not a sharp corner that can be turned all at once. It comes with daily practice. So it's a good reminder. It's not about some kind of sudden, you know, great transformation. All of a sudden, we have no more hindrances and we're just radiating universal love. It's not like that. It's a slow, gradual transformation that comes with daily practice, and that's what we're doing. So this is the first aspect or uh, recollection that will help you, you know, as you enter into the retreat. This quality of friendliness towards yourself, I make my mind my friend, and patience, patience with the ups and downs, patience with the difficulties. The second aspect, which is a source of such great beauty, 
and strength in the practice is silence. Now, sometimes people who have not been on retreat and they hear it's going to be silent, they're a little nervous about it, especially when their friends keep telling them, oh, you couldn't be silent for 10 minutes. (laughs) Or we tell ourselves that. But actually, the very common experience is that by the end of the retreat, people almost uniformly report that silence was the easiest and the most beautiful aspects of the retreat. It creates a space, when we enter into the silence and respect the silence, it creates a space of stillness, it creates a space of clarity. Like we can let down so much of our mental projections. We don't have to present ourselves to anyone. We can relax back into the silence, relax back into ourselves, relax back into the feeling of loving-kindness, of metta. And so I would just encourage you both to respect the silence, but also to enjoy it, because it's a very rare in this world. Friendliness towards ourselves, patience, silence. The last thing I want to talk about as a way of helping enter into the retreat space and creating a context for it is a reflection that is common in the Buddhist tradition. And it's a reflection on what is called this precious human birth. And we can understand this on different levels. In the Buddhist cosmology, you know, the Buddhist cosmology is vast. It talks about, you know, endless lifetimes and many planes of existence. And so it's this, this very vast picture of the universe. So on that level, it's said that birth as a human being is a very rare and precious event. It does not happen that often, you know, given all the possibilities. And so we should appreciate the fact that we've created the conditions for this to happen. This really points to one of the most basic teachings of the Buddha, and that is that everything arises out of the appropriate conditions. When the conditions are present for something to happen, that's when it happens. And if the conditions are not present, it doesn't. Now the corollary to that, and you'll be hearing much more about this, particularly those of you staying for the Vipassana retreat, these conditions are always changing. The conditions of our lives are always changing. So for now, it's like we have the time, we have the resources, we have the interest, we have the motivation, 
to come here to practice. All the conditions have come together for you to be here. Reflect on that. Just think how few people in the world have an opportunity to come someplace and their only job is to practice loving feelings. That that's their job for a week. There aren't too many places where this happens. There aren't. I mean, the world could use a lot more. You know, if there were as many meta retreats as Starbucks, <laughs> we'd probably, the world would be in much better shape. It's rare. It's truly rare, you know, and it's, it's this amazing opportunity that has been created. That's this aspect of this precious human birth, this preciousness of these conditions. Don't take them for granted. You know, when we reflect on it, we see that this is a great blessing, a great gift in our lives. And as we reflect on this, it really can inspire a certain... Um, you might call it a spiritual ardency. You know, a sense, yes, this is a precious time. Let me use it in the best possible way. So this reflection really gives a certain power to our intention, gives a power to our practice. There's one other aspect to understanding this teaching that everything arises out of conditions. And that is that it allows us to practice from a place of great self-respect and respect for others. You know, so often, and especially in the West, I think more in the West than in Asia, just our, our Western psychology we're so often plagued with feelings of unworthiness or not good enough or self-judgment. And what the Buddha is saying, and in fact, the situation arose on the very night of his enlightenment as he was sitting under the Bodhi tree and it said that in the course of you know, his, his striving that night, he was attacked by Mara. Mara being the you know, personification of the forces of illusion. And one of the weapons of Mara was doubt. You know, and trying to, trying to get the, Buddha to, the Bodhisattva at that time to doubt himself. Now, what right do you have to be sitting there seeking enlightenment? And it said that the Bodhisattva, the, that is, the Buddha before his enlightenment, as he was called, just touched the earth, the Mother Earth, to bear witness to his right to be sitting there. Like he was calling on, yes, all of the work that he had done, you know, in all of his previous lifetimes, created the conditions for him to be seated there on that, on that great seat of awakening. In exactly the same way, each one of us, through our own past wholesome actions, have created the conditions for us to be here. It's not by accident. And so we can really sit with a kind of dignity. 
I said with a, a real sense of self-respect. Yes, we have created the conditions for this undertaking, for this journey. That's why the situation arose for us. And we can respect our fellow yogis. So I feel that this is just an important reflection. It sets, sets the stage, it sets the tone for how we can undertake the practice. Now, our Dharma practice, it is really amazing. It is like a great wish-fulfilling jewel. Because when we understand the Dharma, and as we understand it more and more deeply, through the practice of the Brahma-viharas, of metta, of loving-kindness, of compassion, of insight, the more deeply we practice and understand the Dharma, every happiness is attainable. Because we understand increasingly the causes of happiness. And we cultivate them. We see the causes of suffering and we let them go. Thich Nhat Hanh expressed this very well. He said, happiness is available. Please help yourselves to it. Well, this week you're taking a nice big helping of happiness. Now, this week is a wonderful gift. As I say, your only job is to settle back with all of the difficulties that are going to come, but just to settle back and moment after moment be cultivating a mind, be cultivating a heart of loving kindness. Great job. There's really nothing else to do but to practice the happiness of love. Well, that's, that's the gift of this week. So to formally open the retreat, Susan is going to talk a little bit about the refuges and precepts and then we'll take them together as a group. Thank you. I'm wondering if before we start, you'd like to just stand and stretch since you've been sitting for a while already. And also, can you let me know if you've picked up the uh, sheets that were out on the counter outside with... No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <clears throat> It's a traditional practice at, as a retreat comes together, forms in this way, this way of gathering together and with the commitment to do this practice together to take the refuges and precepts. And it's really um, a very beautiful tradition in terms of aligning our hearts in a way together and creating a very harmonious environment in which to do this practice. It's something that's done in Asia, in the monasteries, and in a way, um, that's what we're doing here. We're kind of creating our own monastery for the week, or for the two weeks. 
So the refuges and precepts are offered in that spirit of um, something to reflect on, to take to heart, and to see if you can commit to in your time here. So first of all, the refuges. What does it mean to take refuge? It's an interesting idea, taking refuge. And I think so much recently, or in this world in general, you know, with all of the instability in the world and the suffering in the world, it's important for us to feel like we have a place where we can take refuge, a place of safety, a place to kind of rest our hearts. And for all of us, that might be a very individual process. But in this tradition, there are three refuges that are offered the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So I just want to speak about them very briefly. Taking refuge in the Buddha means reflecting on the Buddha as the historical being, a human being like ourselves, someone who practiced so sincerely and with such great effort that he came to a full realization, a full awakening, a full liberation of heart and mind. So for, for me, when I take refuge in the Buddha, it's useful for me to remember that the Buddha was a human being like I am, that I share that potential for full awakening, for freedom of heart and mind. And also, of course, the Buddha can represent for us certain very important qualities, the qualities of purity, love, compassion, wisdom. And this is what we're developing here in our meditation practice, in our own hearts. So taking refuge in the Buddha is also taking refuge in, that, in those qualities and in our innate potential to develop those qualities quite fully. Taking refuge in the Dharma. The Dharma is the word that's used to refer to the teachings of the Buddha. And the teachings of the Buddha are really the path that we follow, that we walk kind of like a a road map, a way to come to that place of realization or awakening, that place of development of love in our hearts. But the Dharma can also mean the law or the lawful nature of things, the way things are, in essence, the truth. And this is a really uh, powerful refuge when we think about it, taking refuge in the truth. It's so basic, and yet we forget. So taking refuge is a time to reflect on what that means, to remember. Taking refuge in the Sangha, the third of the refuges, traditionally meant the Sangha of enlightened beings that walked in the path that the Buddha was showing, leading, teaching. 
but it also means just this community of practitioners. We are a Sangha here together in that we've all come together to do this practice at this time. And there's a real sense of refuge in that, that we're not doing this work alone, that we're sitting beside other beings, you know, going through the same ups and downs, showing up in the hall and putting in the time, the effort. It's a great support just to share the space with your fellow yogis, sometimes challenging to share the space with so many other people, but also a great support. There are many similes in the teachings that are used to describe the refuges, these three refuges. And I picked one today that I like. It said that the Buddha is like the sun, whose appearance in the world is like the sun rising over the horizon and spreading warmth and light. And the, and the Dharma is like the sun's rays as they spread out and surround the earth and touch everything in their path. And the Sangha is like those beings for whom darkness is dispelled when the sun rises and sheds its light. So in a little while after I talk about the precepts, we'll chant these refuges together. And again, it's a personal process to just reflect for yourself on what they might mean for you. And I think that sometimes just the reflection on the refuge, the refuges, or the taking of the refuges is a kind of surrendering of the ego in itself, where we recognize that we want to just place our hearts on something that might not be the usual places that we go to find security. And in that light, I also just wanted to mention the fact of bowing. That some, you'll see, especially for those of you who are new here, it can seem quite strange. You'll see people coming in, perhaps, and doing some bows before they begin their practice, um, facing the Buddha image, the front of the hall, and bowing. And some people might bow three times and touch their heads to the ground, and others, it might just be a one bow. And you know, just bowing of the head. So you might think, what is this about? And what am I supposed to be doing? So I just wanted to just mention that for some people who are doing three bows, they're actually reflecting on these three refuges. And this is a totally personal, voluntary, not uh, required process. So please don't feel like it's something that you should do or need to do. And I think also in the bowing, for some of us, at least sometimes, there can also be that sense of surrendering, that sense of surrendering the ego, and just bowing, offering ourselves quite fully to this process, to the practice that we're doing here. So 
just to say a little bit about the precepts, when the Buddha offered his teachings, he really offered it as a threefold uh, path. And the three aspects are sila, samadhi, and panya. Sila is discipline or uh, training in ethical conduct. And samadhi is the meditation piece, concentration. And panya is wisdom. And you can see how these three sort of grow or develop one out of the other. So we start with sila, or ethical conduct, training in that, as a way to create, again, this harmonious environment, both externally and also, very importantly, internally. And then out of that harmonious environment, that peace inside, out of living harmoniously in the world, concentration or practice comes more smoothly, more readily. It's more of a fertile ground to practice from. And out of that practice comes wisdom. So the five precepts are really guidelines to take on as training, as part of practice not commandments um, in any way, but really areas that the Buddha kind of highlighted for us to pay particular attention to in terms of refining our conduct in the world so as to live in a way that's more harmonious. In a very uh, real way, I, I think that the precepts are a gift a great gift, and it's a gift that we give to ourselves and to each other in agreeing to live in a way that's harmonious. We're really offering the gift of safety. So the first of the precepts is to refrain from killing or harming living beings. And this is something that most of us abide by, you know, at least in a very, uh, the most basic way. But the Buddha meant it very, to be paid attention to even in subtle ways. So even in the summertime here when there are insects, we practice not killing insects and just watching that motivation to deal with something that's annoying by obliterating it. And to just notice that, to train at paying attention there and seeing if we can act in another way. The second precept is to refrain from stealing or taking what is not freely given. And again, on the most basic way, this is something that most of us already do in our lives. But on a more subtle level, This is really a wonderful area to start to notice the places that greed arise in us, all the ways that it might manifest, and a way of practicing restraint. On the more positive side, it's a way of aligning ourselves with contentment, accepting that this is what we have, and not being so focused on what else might I get. Cultivating gratitude for what we have. 
The third precept is to refrain from sexual misconduct or using our sexual energy in ways that cause harm. And again, on retreat, this is pretty easy because on retreat we ask you to commit to celibacy for your time here. And of course, outside of retreat, it gets more delicate. Now, it's really an amazing area to pay attention. Just notice, again, that energy of desire and how it arises in our lives and how strong it can be. And to just refine our conduct in terms of not causing harm to ourselves or to others with that energy. The fourth precept is to refrain from lying or speaking in ways that cause harm. And as Joseph said, this retreat will be held in silence. So we're spared a lot of opportunities (laughs) to cause harm with our speech. Of course, you will have the opportunity to speak during this retreat. You know, there might be a few words that you need to say to some of the staff as you're doing your job or learning about your job. Or, of course, in interviews with the teachers, you know, we'll be asking that you speak up about your experience. So in, in this precept, we're really just bringing our attention to that area of speech. And again, it's such a powerful area and something that we do so often, and usually, or often, without a real refinement of attention. So again, it's an area to explore, to develop a more careful attention. The fifth precept is to refrain from taking intoxicants that cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. And this is pretty self-explanatory, but I just want to let you know that this doesn't mean that you shouldn't take any medication that you're on. Of course, that's perfectly acceptable and appropriate. It's really a commitment, this precept, to clarity of mind. So again, it's something that we'll get to practice more outside of retreat. In the text, it says that this development of sila, this refinement of our conduct in the world, sila is like a perfume which spreads this very sweet scent. And it's the scent of virtue, of purity. So we can all practice this in our time here together and in that way create a very sweet environment in which we can all live together harmoniously during these days. So I'd like to chant uh, in Pali, which is the language that was spoken at the time of the Buddha, these refuges and precepts. And they're on the back, or they're on one side of that sheet that you have.
And I know that some of you don't know them because you're new here, so I'll, I'll teach them. The first chant is uh, really paying homage to the Buddha. And I'll, the first time through, I'll do it call and response. And then the second and third time, it's done traditionally three times, we'll just do it together. So I'll just do it a couple of, a word or a couple of words at a time, the first time through. Namo tassa. Namo tassa. Bhagavato. Arahato. Sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa. Bhagavato. Arahato. Sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. And the refuges, again the first stanza I'll do call and response and then we'll do the second and third together. Buddhang saranangachami saranangachami Damang Sananga Chami Damang Sananga Chami Sangang Sananga Chami Dutiampi Budang Sananga Chami Dutiampi damang sananga chami Dutiampi sangang sananga chami Tatiampi budang sananga chami Tatiampi damang sananga chami Tatiampi sangang sananga chami. And the precepts will do call and response. Panatipata, We Ramani, Sikapadang, Samadhyami. Adina Dana, We Ramani, Sikapadang, Samadhyami, Abramacharya, We Ramani, Sikapadang, Samadhyami, Musawada, We Ramani, Sikapadang, Samadhyami, Sura Maria, Majapamadatana, We Ramani, Sikapadang, Samadhyami Idang me silang 
Magapalanyanasa Pachayo ho tu ho tu And to close this evening, we'll have just a very short sitting, just a few minutes. So if you would take a comfortable posture. You can close your eyes. And for tonight, we'll just settle into an awareness in our bodies We'll begin the metta instructions tomorrow morning. So for tonight, in this moment, just bring your attention to your body in this posture of sitting. You might notice the points of contact, your sit bones on the cushion or chair. You might notice sensations of your hands touching each other or your lap. And without straining, just with a receptive sense of awareness, see if you can let your attention come to rest on the movement of your breath. And when your mind wanders away from the breath, just notice that that's happened. See if you can let go of the thoughts and just come back to the breath quite simply. Notice the breath wherever you notice it most clearly. Might be the whole movement through your body, or maybe just the movement of your chest or belly, or the sensations of air 
flowing through your nostrils. So we know what it takes to bring yourself to a retreat. Um, and in light of that, <laughs> the early morning sitting tomorrow is optional. So if you're arriving quite exhausted, please feel free to sleep in and get enough rest. Um, so whoever is the early morning bell ringer for the rest of the retreat, you don't need to ring it tomorrow morning that early sit. And we'll have more instructions, as I said, uh, in the 8.15 sitting in the morning. So rest well.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.